There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dear Diary, the doctor here again had a mental day today. Donna and I visited a library to pick up some books and we figured the worst I'd get was a few late fees. Well, a lot of late fees. Well... Maybe a life or death ordeal, which, to be fair, we did get. But, oh, yes, Sonics. I wanted to write you a reminder, Doctor, about your Sonic theft, genetic imprints. You see, this River Song had one you, well, I mean me, apparently gave to her. And I don't actually like the idea of other people touching my stuff. So, here are three ideas I've devised for future iterations of your Sonic screwdriver. Please bear this in mind when building any future models, okay? Idea one retinal scan. It will involve jamming your eye up against the sonic for a few seconds to turn it on, which could be a problem if you're running. You might put an eye out. Second, fingerprint scanner. Third idea, to make sure nobody touches this, and I'm positive I'll never ever get quite desperate enough to implement this one. Make a sonic screwdriver that looks like a poo. Just a big silver turd. Huge steaming sh- Good morning, or wait, if it's, is it morning for you? It might not be morning. Evening? Look, whatever time it is, um, <laughs> I hope you're having a good one. Welcome to episode two of season two of The Doctor Is In. I am your host, Paul Verhoeven. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in this week. Hope you're enjoying Doctor Who um, at the moment. Jodie Whittaker is just knocking it out of the park. This week on The Doctor Is In, I have a very, very special guest. I thought I would zip back uh, to Classic Who. So I'm chatting with Janet Fielding, who played Tegan Javanka, um, the Fifth Doctor's companion. Actually, technically the Fourth Doctor and the Fifth Doctor's companion, but she's an Aussie. So, I mean, she has a really, really unique perspective on Doctor Who from the inside. So uh, uh, we chatted on the phone, and you'll be able to hear that interview later in the episode. Also... In companion piece this week, I'm looking at the absolutely gorgeous uh, Captain Jack Harkness, and who wouldn't want to look at Captain Jack Harkness? But first, whose news is it anyway? This week in whose news is it anyway? First up, Doctor Who Barbie. Um, look, I didn't never think these two things would would intersect, but you know, marketing is getting pretty ambitious. So BBC Studios and Mattel have actually teamed up to release the first ever Doctor Who limited edition Barbie doll. Um, it's going to be available in Australia at uh, some very specific stores. It's over at, I think, Zing and EB Games uh, are selling it almost exclusively. So it's Jodie Whittaker's Doctor in her trademark uh, strappy rainbow t-shirt. She's wearing those gorgeous blue crop trousers. She's got the trench coat and, um, and the braces and the boots. It's a really good resemblance, actually. A little while back, um, there was a collaboration with the X-Files to release official Mulder and Scully Barbies. If you, I mean, I don't need these things, but I really want them for no other reason than to just look across at Jodie and Barbie form occasionally and just nod and Jodie, you know. So uh, it's going to be available this December, just in time for Christmas. Hint, hint. Next up in Doctor Who news... 
Jodie Whittaker has come out on the record and said something which frankly made me very, very happy. I'm, I'm just going to read the quote, okay? I'd love to work with Billy Piper, she said. Rose was a brilliant character. I love what she brought to that role. It was engaging and strong and vulnerable and dynamic. I'd like to meet Rose. Can you imagine what would happen if Jodie Whittaker's 13th Doctor met Rose Tyler? I mean, I know they pretty much, well, I was going to say neatly wrapped up Rose's story. Because, I mean, full disclosure, we're going to talk about Rose at some point later on this season. Rose Tyler is one of my favorite companions. And I'm not super happy with the way they res- resolved her story. You know, can't be with the Doctor? Well, he's a clone. Um, but I would love to see the 13th Doctor meet up with Rose. She also went on to say she wouldn't mind meeting River Song. But I, th- I just feel like we're still a bit... River Song's still a bit recent. I would love to see some old companions. I'd love to see the 13th Doctor meet up with some classic companions. Finally, in Doctor Who news this week, speaking of classic... Well, not classic companions in a traditional sense, but um, Big Finish Audio reunited David Tennant's 10th Doctor and Donna Noble, played by Catherine Tate, uh, in some really great um, Big Finish radio dramas a couple of years back, I think. But here's the deal. We're getting another season. So there's going to be some more Doctor and Donna action. Jacqueline King is going to be coming back as Sylvia Noble, uh, a.k.a. Donna's mother. Um, and here's my favorite piece of news. In these audios, we're going to get the return of um, uh, Bernard Cribbins, who plays uh, Wilfred. Donna's grandfather. You know, Donna's grandfather. The guy who got trapped in the glass box. God damn it. I mean, I'm not entirely sure whether they're going to set these before the um, the events that that wrapped up Donna's adventures with the Doctor or whether they're going to set them after. I think setting them after would be far, far riskier from a canonical perspective, but God, it'd be a nice way to just wash the taste out of my mouth of Donna getting a memory wiped. I'm still struggling with that. Anyway, I think it's about time to introduce our very special guest this week, Janet Fielding, a.k.a. Tegan, from Doctor Who. <laughs> Janet, it's Paul. How are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, what was it like stepping into a, like a very British institution like Doctor Who as an Australian? I mean, what, what was that like for you, that experience? Coming into Doctor Who was really um, quite interesting because I had been in England for three years and I was... Um, I was going out with my ex-husband, who used to pull me up every time I sounded Australian. (laughs) And I have to admit, um, that was kind of ultimately very upsetting. Right. Um, What's wrong with sounding Australian? (laughs) Um, It was how I viewed it. But um, I knew Doctor Who, of course, from my childhood in Australia, and my father and brothers were all big Doctor Who fans. Um, but I hadn't realised quite how devoted SF fans are. You know, science fiction fans are hugely devoted. Mm. Um, so uh, that was a real eye-opener. But as an Australian, it was kind of... Sorry, that was my phone tinkling at me. Um, it was kind of fun to, to, to get to use my Australian accent um, in a role. And... It was, you know, I, I never viewed her as representing Australia. You know, she was herself. I can't stand it when people go, you know, Jodie Whittaker is not representing women as Doctor Who. She's Doctor Who. Yeah, yeah. End of. Yeah. And, and as soon as you make people, you know, somehow stand for, then it's, it's a real pain 
um, the actor, and um, it was sort of anti-creative in my in my um, in my view. So Tegan was never representing Australia. She was Tegan, and she was probably the world's craziest day stewardess. <laughs> um, certainly, certainly, I would have said that her. Um, that, that she was a poor fit for a service industry. <laughs> <laughs> um, which I loved about her, because it, to me, that made her funny. Yeah, yeah. Just and I thought she was, uh, and I thought she was amusing, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's a sort of classic uh, sitcom setup in a way. Yeah, um, sure. Although, you know, it, it was within the context of an action-adventure story. Right. Right. And uh, but it was hilarious. When I come back to Australia, people go, "But you sound so Australian," and, and we don't sound like that. And I go, "Well, actually, we do." Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. When you hear an Australian voice in amongst all English voices, mm. it's going to sound a lot more Australian. Of course. And, you know, the BBC kept on saying to me, the producer kept saying to me, more Australian, more Australian, it's not Australian enough. What? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I was sitting between the Australians going, you're sounding too Australian, a criticism I just don't accept. <laughs> sure. Uh, or you're not sounding Australian enough. Right. So I figured that I sort of was in the right ballpark if I was making both parties unhappy. <laughs> it's a very Australian thing to do sometimes, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you you effectively created, like you said, somebody who was very ill-suited to, you know, being an actual uh, air steward. Um, did you draw influence from anybody you'd ever dealt with on airplanes or was she a complete... Like, were yeah. you taking a crack yeah. at any specific people? <laughs> if, 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 you, if you've ever travelled on American Airlines... Oh, here we go. Um, I mean, they're even worse now. Sure. But... but um, you know, really, those are some of the crankiest, uh, air, you know, air stewardesses and air stewards that I've ever encountered. <laughs> and I mean, there's an irony to that because, of course, the Americans at the time were known to their, for their services, you mm. know, for their service yeah. and, and their friendly service. Not on their aircraft was my experience. <laughs> Not on their aircraft. Well, I know there's a certain... I don't know if you heard of this, but there's something called the Scully effect, and it's, uh, it's young women who get into fields like you know, law enforcement or medicine because they're inspired by the example set by Dana Scully from The X-Files. Do you think anybody's ever gotten, uh, you know, chosen a specific career, potentially one you know, serving food for people very high up or you know, maybe something more adventurous because of Tegan? Do you think you've changed anyone's lives career-wise? Well, I mean, I... I um, done a, quite a number of uh, fan conventions over the years. Right. And uh, they're always very interesting because women come up to me and tell me, you know, they got into whatever because of Tegan. So, I mean, couple, there's a few that stand out. There were two women in L.A. who, um, who became NASA um, scientists. Oh, wow. Um, which... You know, I was hugely flattered by it um, and and amazed, I might add. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a little bit surprised, but hey, whatever. Sure. And maybe it was Tegan's attitude, you know. I'm not taking nonsense from anybody and I don't care who you are. Sure. 
that, that, that inspired them. You know, that seemed to be the situation. And, and women going into, into the sciences still experience quite a bit of that. Yeah. Um, and then there was another woman who, and I remember this because it was very specific, who, who um, she's a battle um, coordinator in the Air Force. So she sits in the back of the plane coordinating the airstrikes. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so, and she, some, you know, so she was really interesting. Um, I wouldn't have said that, you know, uh, that a pacifist, you know, a series which, you know, essentially looks at non-violent ways of, of, of resolving our differences. You know, it's interesting that, that it should inspire somebody who is, shall we say, a little on the, certainly, well, weaponised. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's plain adjacent, you know. It's, it's, look, you've got the key ingredients. You've got planes, you've got, uh, you know, you've got travel, you've got conflict resolution yeah. of a sort, I guess. Yeah, but it's not the kind of conflict resolution that, that Doctor Who espoused, <laughs> no. that way. No, it's a very different show, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, I actually had um, I had something I wanted to uh, run by you, um, Janet, and this is kind of a this this relates to you having uh, you know influenced people down under. So um, my fiance uh, Tegan Higginbotham, she um, this is this is a crazy story. So she was um, you know she was in utero, she was um, in her mum's tummy, and uh, her mum Kaz went into labour, and this is you know thirty years ago. Uh, pretty much around yeah. now. Um, so Kaz goes into labor, and Kaz and her husband Kev have agreed to call uh, her Mary. So they've agreed that she's Mary, and then uh, she needs to go, Kaz needs to go quite urgently into the room and get operated on and, uh, you know, have a C-section. So the, um, of, the administrator wanders up to uh, Kevo, old Kevo, who um, is promptly asked what name uh, he wants to give uh, the baby. And uh, realizing that no one is around to stop him, and because he's such a big fan of Tegan from Doctor Who, he writes Tegan down. Oh, brilliant. That's brilliant. That's excellent. <laughs> so you're not, so you don't... Th- it's not excellent for the mother <laughs> who was doing the hard work at the time. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 you know, but it is amusing. On the other hand, he would have got a serious telling off if, if I'd been around. Oh, excellent. So you would have chewed him out. Too bloody right. <laughs> So, okay, well, here's a... How dare he? How dare he while she's doing all the hard work? (laughs) Oh, my God. At least, look, at least she wasn't called Adric. I mean, that's, you know, small mercies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that is true, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. What was it like? Because I know, um, you know, I know Tegan's reappeared in the Big Finish dramas. What was it like having to get back into character after all those years? Because you've said that, you know, you're not Tegan. She's not... She's, she's not like you, uh, you know, uh, exactly. So what was it like having... Peter Davison might disagree with you. <laughs> really, really. But we have a very, we have a very jokey um, relationship. We're all friends. And, and Sarah Sutton, yes. plays Nitsa, yes. she kind of adjudicates in the middle. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. um, we have huge laughs. But, you know, Peter and I take the mick out of each other all the time. So it's fun. People who come in as, as guest artists are kind of like, what on earth is going on? Yeah, I got that impression. I got that impression. Yeah. It, 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 does, it does seem like you have formed kind of a, like a ragtag family unit, you know, which is the most Doctor Who dynamic you can get, really. Yeah, yeah it is very ragtag family. And um, I always say I think that the dynamic from Peter and I comes from our childhood, you know, because 
He's the only male among three, you know, with three sisters, and I'm the only female with three brothers. So we're, you know, our families were like mirror images, although I'm the eldest and he's, he was the second child. I got a question uh, that I was going to run by you. I know that Doctor Who at times deals with how strange it is for companions to adjust to normal life once they stop traveling with the Doctor. But what, what's, it, what's it like as an actor who plays a companion to, to finish, to segue into, you know, like a regular life, I guess? Like, how's the adjustment process, you know, for a companion off the air? Off the air? Yeah. Um, I found it a little bit uncomfortable, if I'm honest. Okay. You know, um, because when we were doing the show, um, initially, England only had three channels. Right. Um, and with the fourth channel coming on stream while we were doing the show. Mm. And um, so the audiences were huge by today's standards. Like, you know, we were nine and, nine and a half to 11 million oh in God. the UK. Oh, my God. Plus, plus um, you know, a big international audience in, you know, Canada, Australia, the United States, you know, uh, loads of places. Sure. And um, I found it a bit freaky-deaky, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> And it felt like having a peeping Tom, you know? Right. Because when you're off air, you're... you're I can remember I got back from the United States and went round the corner for a meal um, with my then-husband. Mm. And I was so tired, and I put my head down on the table, and he said, get your head up. People will think that you're pissed. Oh, right. And I went, oh, for heaven's sake. And it was that kind of thing. You felt continually like people were, were judging. And, you know, you get kids saying, hey, you know, screaming out the screen at you. Okay. You know, I can get away from this for better. Right, right. You know, because you, you kind of forget that bleed over, you know, from one to the other. Yeah. And then, of course, in terms of career, in those days, being well-known something yeah. wasn't a plus. Right. That didn't change until the mid to late eighties when, you know, you had the um, you had the uh, soap stars starting to starting to come through. Actually that would have been yeah, the really late eighties, early nineties really. Right. Um so it wasn't a kick off because people went, Well, we can't cast her as the Australian in this because people would think we only know one Australian. Of course of course. Um and, and people would go, well, we're not casting her as English because people know that she isn't. Oh, of course. And that was how it worked in those days. Right. And so it wasn't... And also in those days, I was in my early 30s when I finished doing the show. Mm -hmm. And by that stage, the role for women just, like, disappeared. It was, yeah, like, where'd they go? Right. Hey, how, come, how come there's nothing in the script for, for a woman of my age? And they're just wasn't, you know. Yeah. I can remember going to um, to an audition for, you know, one of these rare roles for a woman in her early 30s and sitting next to somebody who said to me, it was like somebody turned a tap off on my 32nd birthday. Oh, God. Really? And it's still not great for the women, in t you know, compared to the men. Of it's course. It's so much better than it was. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, like, I mean, the show has, Doctor Who's always been a big, um, a big deal for, you know, representation and it's been gorgeously progressive over the past few years and now we've got 
you know, now we've got Jodie as the Doctor, and she's absolutely killing it. What, what, what was it like for you watching her on screen? Like, what, what, did it feel like a watershed moment? Did it feel like it was, you know, not a moment too soon? How, what were your reactions watching the episode? Well, it, it's really interesting because um, if you'd asked me three years ago, as indeed somebody did, whether I thought there should be a female doctor, yeah, I would have been worried that, that she was representing all women. Right. You know, going back to the theme earlier. Hmm. Um, and, and I would have worried for the actress herself. Yeah. You know, that she was on a no-win, you know, she was in a no-win situation. But I think, A, the gender debate has just moved on so much Mm. in the last few years. Mm. You know, the whole thing about gender fluidity and what does gender mean has just exploded as a conversation in our culture. Yes. A. B, in Doctor Who itself, the the way has was just prepared so beautifully by Michelle Gomez playing Missy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that you just looked at me and went, Yes. (laughs) And then so it just seemed like a natural progression, really. Sure. Why not? And I think it certainly nails where popular culture is at the moment. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there's so many women heroes out there just kicking butt, and no one's, no one's questioning it. I mean, at least no one I know. Like, it just feels... Well, they are. There's plenty <laughs> of people questioning it because you can see them on Twitter. I guess I'd try and block them out. they called trolls. Yes, yes. The eggs. You know, the anonymous creeps, yeah. but yeah. And I get why Peter, but I also get why Peter Davison mm. was not so in favour, you know, because he was saying, I think it's important for boys to have a positive role model and there aren't that many. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Doctor Who is a positive role model. So I get his argument as well. I do. I profoundly disagree with him. That's something that would not, you know, does not come as a surprise to him. Sure, sure. But um, I just think in the last few years that that argument has moved on so much that, you know, my view has changed. I would have agreed with Peter a few years ago. Right. But my, but my view has changed. Yeah, and, you know, it's it's good to be able to, you know, you're allowed to change your opinions. You're allowed to, you know, listen to people and, and evolve, and you're allowed to hold your own opinions. It's um, I find it strange that in a, in a fan base that is so... In, in a fan base for a show that is about openness and fairness and love that people can get, sometimes some people can just get caught up in the in the hatred a little bit. And it's been nice to see the groundswell of, of adoration for this new incarnation of yeah. the Doctor, I think. Yeah, I think, um, you know, to me, Doctor Who's always been about some very, very positive values indeed. Yeah. And um, by and large, fans are really you know, rather sweet and rather lovely and, you know, are, are a positive force in, in, in amongst us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, but, you know, you do, get, you do get the others as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I, I'm, but I'm pleased to think that they're, they're a small minority. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They're a loud minority, but they're small. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. It's all about the volume, uh, uh, which, you yeah. know, is a, is a kind of a running theme of, uh, of Tegan as a character, volume. Um, so, <laughs> um, look, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just want to let you know that once this call finishes, I'm going to head into the next room and I'm going to tell my uh, soon-to-be father-in-law, Kevin, uh, what you said about him. And I think he will blush yeah. very hard. Yeah, just tell him he was well out of order. <laughs> well out of order. Oh, you're going to make his night and uh, you're also going to make his wife, um, I think, punch the air triumphantly. <laughs> 
every week on The Doctor Is In, this season at least, there is a new segment called Companion Piece. It's called that because I enjoy stupid puns, and uh, I also enjoy the companions in Doctor Who. I think the the world of Doctor Who is so interesting when viewed from the perspective of somebody who isn't, you know, an omnipotent time god. So this week in Companion Piece, we are looking at someone who will swiftly undermine the premise I've just laid out, and that is Captain Jack Harkness, because he is sort of an immortal. So, this week on Companion Piece... Pansexual space rogue, Captain Jack Harkness. The thing I like about Jack Harkness is he's so bloody complicated. Okay, so back during Chris Eccleston's season on Doctor Who, we'd already had the Doctor and we had Rose and they'd been flirting their way across time and space and in comes this handsome prat, Captain Jack Harkness. So in the episode, The Empty Child, Rose and the Doctor meet Jack during the Blitz in London and he has this ship and he has a uniform and he's got swagger and he's sort of your... I mean, at least on the outside, he appears to be your traditional macho action hero. Only he isn't, because this is Russell T. Davies' version of Doctor Who. So we find out Jack isn't working for the Allies. He's a former time agent, and he's a bit of a con man, and he's a scoundrel. And he has this weird memory gap of two years, so he's got this kind of Jason Bourne thing going on. And after seeming like a real creep, he uh, eventually redeems himself by... I think he takes an exploding bomb on board his ship, and then he ends up traveling with the Doctor and Rose and Mickey. And then... And then we get a handful of episodes with what I like to call space friends. You know, a bunch of mates and the Doctor hooning around, having adventures, getting along like a house on fire. It was just, it was so lovely to see the TARDIS, not just as a box with a lonely Doctor in it, but with a crew, right? So you have a ship and a crew. It was a really interesting new dynamic for Doctor Who. And we're finally seeing it again this season, but we'll get onto that later. Anyway, so Eccleston seasons wraps up and... Um, Captain Jack is killed by Daleks. It ha- you know, it happens. It's, cl- it's, it's one of the risks of running with the Doctor, I guess. Only what happens less often is being resurrected by Rose Tyler, who at the time was infused with energy from the TARDIS and had become this bad wolf thing. It's complicated. So Rose and the Doctor, you know, they mourn Jack and they leave. And then Jack wakes up and he's alone and he somehow... Um, uses a time manipulator to port back to 1869 and he spends the entire 20th century living out his life on earth waiting for the doctor to reappear and because he's been infused with bad wolf energy he can't die so he just he's he's basically wolverine at this point he, he solves problems um with torchwood in a way that the doctor doesn't approve of see torchwood um was a spin-off of doctor who and torchwood are kind of an edgy gang of MI5 style badasses and when Tennant's Doctor meets up with Jack in the episode Utopia they clash pretty badly over his methods um, so next after he and the Doctor and Martha and most of Earth are imprisoned by the Master and eventually escape Jack bids the Doctor farewell and heads back to Cardiff to lead Torchwood again and returns as a much lighter and friendlier version of the character so Torchwood goes to some very weird very dark places now I won't go deep into Torchwood lore here as this is a Doctor Who podcast but uh, Jack Harkness is also noteworthy for being bisexual so John Barrowman who plays uh, Jack is gay but having this hypersexual, really flawed, complex, um, sexually open, brazen character in Doctor Who that people really adored across both shows and across all demographics of viewers makes him this vital, iconic part of the show's history. Also, um, his adventures with Torchwood have continued thanks to Big Finish. So once you're done with the show, uh, both shows, you can hit the audio plays. Now, I should probably finish by pointing out that uh, there is a recurring character in Eccleston and Tennant's uh, Doctor Who series called The Face of Bo. It's sort of this big, weird, gelatinous head trapped in a vat 
Uh, and the doctor keeps talking about him, and he's got this really lovely light motif that the composer Murray Gold did, and it's implied that he's some sort of like cosmos spanning omnipotent being. Um, <laughs> and then what happens is at the end of the Utopia story arc, Jack and Martha and the doctor are, are on this pier, and I think um, Captain Jack, and I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but Captain Jack basically sits there and wistfully remembers he used to be like. Um, uh, like the prettiest guy on the Beauchene Peninsula, and then he heads off. And uh, now, I, I again, I could be ma- mangling that quote, but the basic idea is that Captain Jack lives for so long that he ends up becoming a huge head in a jar. I mean, this, I guess that's one of the downsides of immortality. And you know, Captain Jack is just—he's just gorgeous, even as a head in a jar. And those weird dangly things on the sides—I mean, that's nice. It gives you something to hang on to. Anyway, I cannot stress this <laughs> this point enough. Captain Jack is. Knockout gorgeous and absolutely wonderful and, you know, what a guy. It absolutely breaks my heart to say this, but that's all the time we have for this week on The Doctor Is In. Hope you've enjoyed the episode and I hope you enjoyed the interview with Janet Fielding. Janet, thank you so much for uh, coming in to have a chat. Um, Don't forget to head across to iTunes and subscribe. And if you enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed The Doctor Is In, head across to Twitter and Facebook and tell uh, everybody about it. If you want to catch up on all the incredible guests uh, that we've had uh, on past episodes of The Doctor Is In, all you've got to do is head across to thedoctorisin.show. If you bring up the page, which is just, it's a new website and I'm still sort of reeling at how pretty it looks, uh, you'll be able to check out interviews with people like uh, Jodie Whittaker. (laughs) Jodie was on last week. Um, We've also chatted with... Christ, who else? Matt Lucas uh, of Little Britain, who played Nardo. We chatted with host of Whovian's Rove McManus. We've chatted with Stephen Friggin Moffat. Sarah Dollard, a wonderful Aussie writer who wrote the episode Thin Ice. Tegan Higginbotham, Justin Hamilton. Um, Brian Minchin, the executive producer of Doctor Who. Bridie Connell. Just, it's... It's packed. The website's jam-packed with um, with wonderful interviews. And now we can add Janet Fielding to the mix. Bloody Tegan Javanka. So don't forget to tune in for another uh, jam-packed episode of The Doctor Is In next week. And good God, what a time to be a fan. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.